there's a lot of things I'm thankful for. And uh, one thing I'm thankful for today is Kazi Stewart. And let me tell you why. Two years ago, I think, Kazi noticed that Joseph and I had a Christmas tide deficiency in our life. And Kazi thought that that was a need of ours that needed to be filled. And now I have this beautiful Santa Claus tie uh, where he's blowing ornaments, I think. Blowing bubbles that turn into ornaments. Um, I think it's a real situation happening, but it's pretty awesome. And I'm thankful for you, Kazi, for, for hitting me up with this tie. Uh, and I'm just thankful to be with my church family. You know, this is a great time of year. And uh, I'm thankful for Danny for reading that scripture, for Howard for saying that powerful prayer, and for Frank always for leading our singing. Uh, it's just awesome to be together. You know, it's not about us. It's not about us. We're not here for us. We're here to worship God. We're here to approach His throne, to go before Him, to praise Him, to worship Him. And you know, it's so easy to start just going through the motions. Just going through the motions. I want to take you back to when I was about, I guess, 14 or 15 years old. And my friend, he was probably my best friend at the time. You know, we went, I went through a lot of best friends, but uh, he was my best friend at the time. The one that I spent the most time with, I'd say. His name was Justin. And I went to Justin's house a lot. I spent a lot of time with Justin. Uh, in fact, on most weekends, he was either at my house or I was at his house. Pretty much the whole weekend. And this particular weekend, it was beautiful outside. We were out throwing baseball. And Justin was probably at the end of the auditorium. Then his brother, who was much younger than us, maybe you know, five or six years younger than us, he was about halfway, and then I was on the other end. And so we were just throwing the ball down. He would throw it to his brother. His brother would throw it to me, and then we'd go back. Well, you know, I kind of started going through the motions and just not... You know, when you're going through the motions, you quit paying as close attention to what's happening. And so what I did is I just started kind of gazing around, looking here and there. Y'all, I know y'all see where this is going. Uh, but I started gazing around, and about that time, Justin, he decided he didn't like this little routine we were doing. He didn't want to throw it to his little brother anymore. He wanted to throw it over his brother to me. But he kind of failed to tell me that. So I was going through the motions and quit paying attention. About that time I hear, Alex! So I turn and there's a ball right there. So it smacked me right in the mouth. I'm telling you, I had to go get stitches. It's really probably, the, thankfully, knock on wood, about the worst injury I've ever had was getting smacked in the face with that baseball. And it's just very easy to start doing that. When you do something over and over again, it's easy to start going through the motions. And I want to take you back to the very last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, where our scripture reading was earlier. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. Uh, it should be fairly easy to find. Just follow your Old Testament to the very end of it, to the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi. And I will confess to you that leading into this, I didn't know a lot about Malachi. I didn't know a lot about the book of Malachi. Um, I want you to know, you know, before Joseph or I get up here, um, we have gone through a lot of study, but also an emotional journey as we prepare these sermons, as we challenge ourselves to get better. And I want to take you along my study 
uh, to the book of Malachi. In Malachi chapter 1, the book of Malachi is thought to be written around 400 B.C. Now, if you know how our years were determined or how our years came about, you know, there's different reasons for it, but uh, basically it started at a really high number and counted down to Jesus' birth, and then somewhere around there we started counting up again. And that's how we got to 2019. So the last book of the Old Testament, 400 B.C., somewhere in that time range, is where it was written. Now when we started our Bible reading plan back in January of 2019, uh, hopefully some of you are still on track. I'm not on track, as Joseph said last week. He's not on track, but hopefully you are reading more. The whole point of this was to help you read more than maybe you have normally read in the past. Uh, But when we started it, we started in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says what? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And following the creation of the world, man and woman were created and they fell into temptation. They brought sin into the world when they gave in to that temptation. And the promise we are given, it starts in Genesis chapter 3. And I want to remind you this, that as we are winding down this year, that all of it connects. All of it is connected. And all the way back in January, when we started this Bible reading plan, we get a promise in as early as Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when we read this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is a statement of destruction, a statement of hope as well. Because it's a statement of destruction to Satan when he tells him that he will put enmity between him and the woman and between his offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head. The woman's offspring will bruise your head. You will be defeated. That is a statement of defeat and destruction. But for us, in Genesis chapter 3, the very beginning of God's Word, we are given a promise that we will win. That we will win. And Satan is given a promise that he will lose. And all throughout Scripture, we are reminded of this promise. We get these messianic prophecies all throughout the Old Testament that weave together uh, like this one in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 through 5. I want to read it to you. He was despised and rejected by men. Does this sound familiar? I hope it does. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one of whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grieves, griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. Long before Jesus was born, we are given these prophecies that remind us that Jesus is going to come and save us. That started all the way back in the beginning. And then verse 7 of Isaiah 53, where it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep before its shearers, 
is silent, so he opened not his mouth. These scriptures are scattered all throughout the Old Testament that remind us of Jesus, that the coming Christ would come and save the sins of the world. We're reminded of it often. And we know that in the meantime, while they were waiting on Christ, they had to make sacrifices for their sins until the eternal sacrifice Jesus could come and sacrifice Himself for us. And so, this is where we find ourselves. So you go from the book of Genesis, fast forward about 1,100 years or more to the book of Malachi into the future, and we have this group of people who have been sacrificing and worshiping God for over 1,100 years being told the Savior is coming. The Savior is coming. The Savior is coming. But when you hear that for 1,100 years, generation after generation after generation, you start to say, well, nothing's happening. Where's this Savior you talk about? You've been telling me that, this, that we were going to win, that this Savior was going to come and, and save us from our sins, but it's been 1,100 years. That's where we find these people in the book of Malachi. And I can't help but see myself. You know, we start doing things over and over again and we start to go through the motions or we get burned out on it. Maybe it's a job that you've had for years and years and years and you really, if you look back at it now, you'd say, I'm not doing as good a job as I was when I first started because I don't have as much energy or I don't care as much. I'm just kind of going through the motions. Or uh, for some, it's sports. Practice, 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 and more practice. And you know, by the end of the season, it's easy to just kind of start going through the motions. Do the minimum thing that I've got to do to make sure the coach is off my back to keep myself going. For some, it's in your finances. You set goals that you want to save, and so you save and you save, or you're paying off debt after debt, but you don't feel like you're getting anywhere, and you say, you know what? I just want to, I want to treat myself. I've been going through the motions, and I, I'm, I'm done with this. For some, it's in your marriage. You've done for your spouse for years and years and years and it, it wears on you. And you decide, you know what? I just want to do the minimum that helps me get by. But for a lot of people, for a lot of us, for me, I often find this in my spiritual life. In my relationship with God is where I find myself going through the motions. I was baptized when I was 10 years old. I'm 28 now. It's been 18 years. For some of you, it's been much longer than that. But we've been waiting a long time for the Savior. We've been waiting a long time for His return. And we start doing the minimum. We start doing the minimum stuff. And that's where God's people are in Malachi. They've been waiting for over 1,100 years for Jesus to come, for the Savior to come. And they started going through the motions. And it's pretty sickening when we read it in Malachi chapter 1, verses 6-9. through 9. I want to read it with you again. Some of this we haven't read yet. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where is my honor? 
And if I'm a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priest, who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar, but you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Listen to what he says. Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Verse 9, And now entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. He says, you honor your father and your master, but where is your honor for God? You honor all these people, but where is your true honor for God? Look what they've started offering as sacrifices to God. Polluted food upon the altar. Polluted food to God. Or they've offered these blind and lame animals to God. In verse 8, he says, you wouldn't even offer that to a person. You wouldn't even offer that to your governor, but yet you come to my altar and offer it to me? Really? He's very challenging to these people. Now jump on down to verses 13 and 14 to the end of chapter 1. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Look at verse 14. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. He's saying, you are cursed because some of you, you you have a male, a healthy male that you could offer to me, but yet you bring a lame, sick lamb and offer it on my altar. You have one that is unblemished, yet you come before me with one that is blemished. You are not giving me your best. This is what happens over 1,100 years of waiting, of going through the motions. You know, a lot of times we start going through the motions so much that God becomes a beggar to us. That God becomes a beggar to us. We see God as a beggar. That God will just take whatever we give Him and He'll be happy with it. That God will say, oh, thank you so much for saying a short prayer this morning. That's all you gave to me today, but I'm so thankful that you did. Or he says, you know, I'm thankful that you give to your people, to the church. I know you could have given more, but I'm thankful that you gave anything. I'll take it. I'll take what I can get. We see God as a beggar who's just begging for us to give to him and that he'll just be happy with anything. You know, I forgot to eat breakfast this morning. So I thought I'd maybe eat this banana. Um, but I want to use this as an example. I want to show you. You know, we do this with our time and our finances. 
we do all kinds of stuff, and you can apply it however you want. I'm going to talk about mostly our time. You think about when we wake up in the morning and brush our teeth, or go through your morning routine, and then we decide, you know what, I got to go to work, so take another bite. This is representative of your time. And you know, um, after work, I kind of want to get into my hobbies. Um, now that I'm done with my responsibilities, I kind of just want to go home and, or let me apply it to myself. I kind of want to just go play some disc golf or whatever else you might do. So that's what you do next. Then it's dinner time. You say, I got to eat. I ain't got time for anything else but eating because I'm hungry. So you take another bite. Big bite. And then at the end of the night, maybe think about your night. I'm going to think about my evening because this is a challenging lesson for me. My evening, I turn on Disney Plus or Netflix. I've been trying to catch up on the Star Wars movies with the new one coming out next week. So I turn my TV on. That's what I do next. Spend some time watching TV, and you can ask Allison. I probably fell asleep watching that, that show, and now I'm too tired. i got to brush my teeth again. Now it's time for bed. And I say, you know what? Here, God. That's for you. I did everything I wanted to do throughout the day. I went through my routine. And I, I want to give this to you, God. And what we do, though, is we think God just says, Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so glad you gave me the last bit of your banana. I appreciate that. Do you think God's thankful for this? Do you think God is thankful when we, we do everything else we want before we ever think to give God of our own time or money or whatever resources you have? Let me ask you this question. When do you decide how much time in your day you're going to give to God? When do you decide? This is a question I've been asking to our teenagers on Wednesday nights. We're doing a series called Not a Fan. This is a question I've been asking myself. When do I decide how much time in a day I'm going to give to God? Is it pretty much, well, let me, let me get through everything I need to do first. Let me make sure I cover all my responsibilities. And then if I have anything left at the end of the day, then that's what I'm going to give to God. Because if that's what we're doing, then you're probably doing this right here and just giving God your leftovers. You're giving God your crumbs. And, you know, I'm, I want you to be challenged today to go back and instead reorganize the way you think about your time and the way you think about your relationship with God. Not that it becomes, not that it comes after everything else that you do, but it comes first. That before you even go to bed the night before, you think, okay, tomorrow, what can I do? How can I include God in my day tomorrow? Where am I going to make sure to take some time away to spend with God? 
you know, I might not get to all those other responsibilities, but I'm definitely going to make sure I get to my relationship with God. And you know, all throughout the Bible, we, we, we hear God talk to us about what He thinks about when we give Him our leftovers. You go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, when He talks to the church in Laodicea. This is something that was in your Bible reading last week. And you've heard this verse over and over again. And he says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He doesn't say, Man, I'm so glad you have a relationship with me. And it's kind of, you know, it's lukewarm. But thank you for giving 5% of your day to me. Thank you for giving 5% of your time to me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. No, he says, I will spit you out of my mouth if you are lukewarm. Now that is scary to me. And if you go back to Malachi chapter 1, verse 10, he says an even scarier thing. Look at verse 10. He said, Oh, that you were, there were one among you, just one among you, who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Wow. He says, you're offering me these lame and sick lambs. You know what? I wish someone would just have the courage to shut the doors of that temple. Man, that's scary. And I think, how many times would he say that of us? Alex, I just wish, I wish you wouldn't even go to worship. Because what you're giving me is unacceptable. I wish you wouldn't even claim to be a Christian because what you're giving me is unacceptable. I wish somebody would just go up to that church building and shut the doors. It scares me how often maybe God thinks that of us. God doesn't thank these people for offering something. He says, I wish y'all would just shut the doors to that temple. And that is convicting and that is scary. And when we do that, we are being fans of God. We are being fans of God. Not followers. Not disciples. We are fans. A fan is someone who knows all the statistics. You know, I'm a sports fan, uh, but maybe you're a fan of other things. Celebrities or movies or whatever it might be. A fan is someone who knows all the statistics. You know how many points per game the point guard has, has gotten. You know how many wins your team has, but you don't contribute a whole lot to the team, right? You're just a fan. You're just in the bleachers. And when, when we are, are giving God this, you know, a lot of times we're fans. We know the statistics. We know how many books are in the Old Testament and in the New and in the whole Bible. We know that Jesus came and that He died for us. We know those things. We know the facts. We know how many apostles there were. There were 12 apostles. We know how many times God speaks to us throughout Scripture about love. Maybe you can even say that. But when it comes to actually sacrificing something, sacrificing our time or our resources for our relationship with God, I'm not a disciple. I'm not a follower. A follower or a disciple of Christ is all in. 
not just in the middle. And there's another example of this. I want you to go to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. We, we read about the church in Ephesus. You've heard of that church before, maybe. Where the Ephesians worshipped in Ephesus. Verses 2 through 4 are challenging to me and go perfect with this lesson. Verses 2 through 4, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Man. Verses 2 and 3, he says a lot of good things about the church in Ephesus. A lot of good things about the church in Ephesus. Look at verses 2 and and 3 again. He says, your toil and your patient endurance... That you don't bear with those who are evil. You test those and decide whether or not they are, they are telling the truth. In verse 3, you have endured patiently. You are bearing up for my name's sake. And he says, you have not grown weary. Wow. You know, that sounds like a great church. That sounds like the church that God describes in His, in his Word. But yet, verse 4, he says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You know, you've done a lot of great things. You've done a lot of great works, but you know what? Your heart is not where it needs to be. Your heart is not in the right place. Think about Cain. Cain offered up a sacrifice to God, didn't he? Cain offered up a sacrifice to God. In fact, when I read it, I think, man, that sounds like a pretty good sacrifice. He worked hard out in the field and he grew these vegetables and he, and he worked hard and he took it before God and God says, that's not what I asked for. And then I, I look at myself and I think, man, is that me? I can just hear him saying that to me. I heard you singing in worship. I heard that. I saw you put something in the offering and and give to some of my people. I saw that. I heard the words of your prayer. But you know in all of that, your heart was somewhere else. Your heart was somewhere else. And that's unacceptable to me. So where's your heart at this morning? Where are you? I know you're in this room, but where are you really? Are you giving God what's left? Or are you giving God everything you've got? You know, there's, there's two people. You probably fall in two categories. One is, you want to be here. You need to worship, and you know that God wants your worship, and you give Him everything you've got. Or, this is the only time you give to God this week. And when you leave here today and you close up worship tonight, maybe you'll come, maybe not. But when you close out your worship today, that's it. That's it till next Sunday. And you're just kind of giving God what's left because today's the only day you got time for Him. 
Now, if you look back at Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, we're going to close out there in verse 11 and verse 14. In verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For not my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In verse 14, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God is worthy to be praised. And every single day when you wake up, we should be thankful that we get to praise our God. That we get to worship our God. That we get to bow before our God in prayer. That we get to praise Him with the way that we live. And instead of expecting Him just to accept whatever you've got left, I'm challenging you to give of your best. Give your best to God. I don't know what that looks like in your relationship with God, but I know I've got some improving to do. And this morning, maybe giving your best looks like sacrificing yourself in baptism, going to the cross with God, going to the cross with Christ and saying, I want to die with you, Christ. I want to die to me and live to you. Or maybe it looks like a a person who's been a Christian for a long time and you're like the people in Malachi You've gotten pretty weary and you've gotten pretty tired of just going through the motions and you say, I've been just given what's left and I want to make a change and give of my best. Whatever need you have this morning, come forward as we stand and sing together.